week, we are jumping into week two of our series that we are calling Equipped. And uh, as we're getting into the summer, and a lot of people are starting to leave on vacation, um, it seems like a lot of really good movies come out in the summer. You know, there's a, there's a cinema right below my apartment, and I walk my dog by it every day, and I see all these posters for these great movies that are coming out. Um, and, and as I see these posters for movies, one thing I have to do is if there's a movie I'm interested in seeing, I have to see it the day it comes out, because I hate spoilers. I hate spoilers. If I'm reading a book, I won't even read the reviews of the book because it ruins it for me. I like to see a movie before I've seen any trailers. And if anybody ruins it for me and gives me a spoiler, it makes me so angry. It just makes me angry inside. I try to be kind to the person. But you know, I have some friends who like to read the last page of a book first. And those people are sick, okay? And if that's you, we're going to have our prayer teams available at the end of service for you. But but I, I like the suspense of not knowing what's going to happen next. So there are times that it's a lot of fun to not know what's happening next, but there are times in our lives that we need some guidance or some help knowing what direction we're going. And in the church, God gives us people who help us find direction, who help us know where we're going. And these people are called prophets. So in this series, we're taking a zoomed in look at Ephesians chapter four, verses one through 13. And let's just read this, this, we read it last week. We're going to read it every week of the series. So spoiler alert, that's happening every week. (laughs) Paul writes in Ephesians chapter four, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But... To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So last week we talked about this role of apostles, and this week we're going to talk about the prophets. Now for this series we have a graphic of kind of a hiking backpack, um, or a pack that's ready for a journey. And if you've ever gone hiking and it has started to get dark outside, you may have really wished that you had brought a flashlight with you. The prophets in the church are kind of like that flashlight. When it gets dark outside, they show us a little bit of the path ahead. They can warn us of any danger if there's a route there that we're going to trip over. They warn us of danger. They make sure we stay on the path and we don't uh, veer off the path and get lost. And they make sure we don't miss the good things that we can see when we have a little bit of light ahead of us. The church needs the prophets because they give us glimpses of things we need to know to take our journey forward as a church. 
So today we're going to talk about how Christ himself gave the prophets to equip his people for works of service. And before we jump into this today, you know, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. We loved prophecy in my church. And if you grew up in a Pentecostal church, you know that sometimes it gets a little weird when you get into like the prophetic people, okay? And this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about some of what God has gifted the church with, with the prophets, and I also want to talk about some ways that we can know if someone gives us a prophetic word, how can we know whether that's true or false? I don't know about you guys, but I've had a few moments where people have, uh, with good intentions, spoken prophetic words over me, and sometimes they were great and meaningful moments, And other times it was like, this person is crazy, get this person away from me, this is getting weird. So as we go through that today, um, I want to give you some tools for your toolbox to be able to engage with this in a healthy way in the church. And if this is a gift that God has given you, we want to see you use that gift as part of our body, uh, as part of the, the body of Christ that we are uh, in this church. So why did Christ give us the prophets? The first reason is Christ gave the prophets to the church to call things out in us. Sometimes we need someone else to tell us how God sees us. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, there's this moment between King David and the prophet Nathan. And King David looks around his palace and he goes, man, I'm living in this great palace. And the ark of the Lord is in a tent. I need to build a house for the Lord. I need to build a temple. And the prophet Nathan says, that sounds good to me. I think we should start that project. And then Nathan goes home, and the Lord speaks to Nathan when Nathan goes home. And the Lord says, you go back and you tell King David that I don't need him to build me a house. I don't need a house built by human hands. He said, but you go back and tell David, I'm going to make him into an everlasting house. He said, go back and remind David where he came from. Remind David of those days in the field when nobody saw him. You remind him that I saw him. And not only did I see him, but I am establishing an eternal throne for him. And so the prophet Nathan comes back to David and he says, hey, I've got to tell you what the Lord said to me last night. The Lord said, you're not going to build him a house. He's going to make you into an everlasting house. God has more for you than what you saw in yourself. And of course, we know how the story turned out. We know that that prophecy that God would establish an everlasting throne in David's name actually meant that Jesus Christ would come through the lineage of David and would reign eternally. They didn't see that part of it, but they got a glimpse. They got a little flashlight view of what was in front of them. And God looked at David and said, I'm going to make you great. There's more to you than what you see, and I'm going to call that out in you. The goodness of God in our lives never runs out. And just when we think we can do something to repay God, he blesses us even more expansively. His goodness gets even bigger in our lives. And after this moment, David goes and he kneels before the Lord and he says, who am I and who is my family that you have brought me this far? And he just spends some time saying, God, you've been so good to me. You've been so good to me. But the ultimate promise was greater than David could have dreamed of. And it was delivered to him through the prophet Nathan. See, a lot of times God sees things in us that we can't see in ourselves because we're clouded by insecurity. We're clouded by fear. 
We see ourselves in a certain way, and God has to expose to us the possibilities of what our life might look like if we surrender it to him. God does this, and it's such a gift in our lives. If you imagine being kind of a fog of insecurity or being in a fog of darkness, and sometimes someone comes and they deliver a word from God to us, and it's like a flashlight cutting through that fear of insecurity and God allowing us to see the possibilities of the call he has on our lives. This has happened to me a couple times. Um, When I was 20 years old, I was a worship leader at my church in the U.S., And I was asked to lead worship for the middle schoolers winter retreat. And I just want to say to you, if you've never been in a room full of middle schoolers who have just done sports for an entire day, (laughs) and you're like three days into it, it's a real trial of the soul, okay? There were things I smelled that I didn't know were humanly possible. But anyway, um, I'm, at this, I'm at this youth retreat as a leader, and I had this real moment with God. Uh, I, I felt this intense presence from God one of the days that I was there. But, uh, but a friend and I had a conversation, and we said, we should start writing songs for our church. Our church was writing original songs at the time. We said, we should start writing songs. That would be cool. And my friend was a very talented musician, so I thought, this is great. I'm going to ride his coattails, and we're going to write songs, and it's going to be this really cool thing to do. Well, that night, um, in the middle of this strong presence of God I was sensing, the speaker called all of the leaders up front to pray for us. He said, hey, kids, we're going to pray for your leaders. And he calls us up front, and he's going down the line praying for everybody. Oh, God, bless his ministry. Give him energy for these middle schoolers. Oh, help him remove his sense of smell so he can minister to these teenagers. (laughs) Just going down the line praying really general stuff. And he got to me, and he said, God is going to give you songs from his throne room. And they're going to release people into freedom. They're going to release the presence of God into people's lives, on and on. And I was like, man, when did my friend tell him that we decided today to write songs? That's pretty weird. But, you know, cool, I'm glad he's affirming this. And then he went on and prayed for my friend, who was a very talented musician. And he said, oh, God, bless his ministry and help him, give him energy for these middle schoolers, na, na, na. And I was like, whoa, man, like you prayed this over the wrong person. I'm not the one with the gift here. It's my friend over there. So I went to the speaker after the service and I said, hey, when did my friend tell you that we decided to start writing songs? And he said, your friend didn't tell me that. I didn't know you guys had that conversation this afternoon. He said, the Lord showed me that as I was praying for you. And I said, but man, I'm not the, I'm not the one with the gift here. I'm not very good at anything. It's my friend. He's the, he's the one. He's the one that's good at this. And the guy said, God didn't tell me to pray that over your friend. He told me to pray that over you. And over the coming months, um, God began to birth songs in the pages of my journal, and we were singing them as a church, and God was doing incredible things through that. It wasn't anything I had brought to the table. It was something that God birthed in me through someone with a prophetic word who had called this out of me. A couple years later, uh, I was at another event, and someone came up and they prayed for me. This was several years before I even thought to come to Paris. And he said, I see you on foreign soil singing the songs you've written. God's going to call you out of America, and you're going to minister and share the gospel on foreign soil. 
And I stood there and I thought, man, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. I was like, I'm never leaving the promised land full of dill pickles and Cheetos, okay? I'm never moving abroad. And I thought in my head, I thought, oh, this poor guy, he means well, but he has no clue what he's talking about. And a few years later, uh, after I had moved to Paris, I was talking about prophecy, and I started to use this as an example of how some people can be really off in their prophecies to us, you know? I was like, yeah, this one guy, one time he was praying over me, and he said, oh, you know, and I had this click in my head where I realized that this was a way that God was exposing me to a new season he had for me, but I didn't see it coming. These were gifts in my life. God used the obedience of people with a prophetic calling to reveal to me something that I didn't even know was inside of myself. God uses the prophets for this. They're a gift to us in the church. But we have to be careful with this. If someone prophesies something over us, sometimes they can tempt us with things that feed our flesh. I want you to be very careful if anybody ever prophesies over you that you're meant to be famous. You're meant to have a world stage. You're meant to have influence over millions of people. Be careful with that because that's not what the kingdom looks like. The kingdom looks like a mustard seed. The kingdom looks like a child, not like platforms and fat bank accounts, okay? If someone comes to you and prophesies over you that you are going to be financially wealthy, you be very careful with that because sometimes, uh, sometimes the enemy works through people who prophesy things over us that distract us from what God has called us to do. God will sometimes give us a prophetic word of encouragement to speak over someone. Sometimes when I, just in passing, when I just say a kind comment or a kind word of encouragement to that person, that might be exactly what they needed to hear. That's what the Holy Spirit does when we move in step with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we just say something to someone and it gives them life. The Bible said that the power of life and death is in the tongue, which means that when I speak life over someone, it brings them life. We want the bridge to be a life-giving church, which means that we want prophetic words of encouragement constantly flowing here. We want it constantly flowing. It doesn't cost you anything to bring a word of encouragement into someone's life. Sometimes it's the prophets who remind us that God sees us. Sometimes God works through us to bring that to other people. God can use us as a channel of his goodness to bring words of encouragement and words, of, uh, words to confirm people's calling in their lives. See, Jesus is the prophet that we need to emulate. Jesus was the ultimate prophet. We need to emulate him. Jesus went to people and he called things out in them that they couldn't see in themselves. He said, Simon, you're not just a fisherman anymore. You're going to be the rock on which I will build my church. I'm going to birth the church through you. He constantly went to people that thought they were nothing. They didn't see anything in themselves. And he called out in them what he saw in them. That's the prophetic. That's how the prophetic calls things out in us. Jesus loved people enough to call out the good in them. But this isn't all that a prophet does. Jesus also loved people enough to bring correction to them. And this is the second gift that Christ gives us through the prophets. Christ gave us the prophets to correct us and to bring correction in our lives. The Bible is clear that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are meant for the edification of the body. What that means is any gift that the Holy Spirit gives me to serve is meant to make the church stronger. But sometimes we mistakenly think that all the gifts are supposed to make us feel really good about ourselves. 
But sometimes there's a word of correction that needs to come forth. And it doesn't feel good, but it makes us stronger and it's necessary for us to grow. Just a few chapters after Nathan speaks this incredible promise over David, David makes a big, big mistake. Um, The story is told in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Many of you are probably familiar with the story, but if you're not, King David, the man after God's own heart, the man who wrote most of the Psalms, he sees a beautiful woman bathing, and he sends a couple of his messengers to bring her to him, and he takes advantage of his power with her. She gets pregnant. He's in big trouble. He has her husband killed and takes her as his wife. Slightly, slightly a big deal, right? And so in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan, the same prophet who spoke the covenant over David, Nathan comes to David and he tells him a story. He says, there's a man in your kingdom who is very rich and he has a lot of livestock and a traveler came to him and instead of using one of his own sheep, he used the only sheep of his poor neighbor to feed this, this traveler that came through. And David was infuriated. He was like, how could someone do this? Bring me the man and I'll have him killed. And Nathan says in verse 7, he says to David, you are the man I am talking about. He says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and all Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the, with the sword and took his wife to be your own. Oh man, he's busted. And took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me. And you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. This is Nathan saying all this to David. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Nathan comes to him and he's like, I know exactly what you've done. God has told me exactly what you've done, and you are in big trouble with the Lord. Now, it would have been easy for David in this moment to say, who do you think you are? I'm the king of Israel. I'm the Lord's anointed. The Lord found me in the shepherd's field and named me the king. I can do whatever I want. You're wrong. You're out of line. I'm your spiritual authority. How dare you question me? David had the choice. He could have done that. But instead, in verse 13, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. See, David has a choice to make in this moment when prophetic correction comes into his life. And David makes the right choice and says, I have sinned. And he writes this beautiful psalm. He writes Psalm 51 right after this confrontation. I love this psalm. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. He goes on later in the psalm and says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. 
See, we have in this interaction with David and Nathan a model of how to bring prophetic correction. Nathan comes to David in private, and he says, God has revealed to me your sins. Nathan loved David. They had a trusted relationship. Nathan had brought words of encouragement in the past, but he comes to him in gentleness and love. And he's like, man, you've, you've really messed up. You have to, you're in big trouble. You have to repent from this. And David shows us a model of response to prophetic correction. False prophets find it a lot of fun to deliver words of judgment. Maybe you've seen this in a church or you've seen this in, a, in an evangelist on, on TV. They, find it, they get a lot of joy out of delivering messages of God's wrath and God's destruction. That's not a true prophet, okay? If you look through the Old Testament, Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, these guys were prophesying destruction over Israel. They were saying, God's going to destroy your nation. But it grieved them deeply to share this word. It grieved them deeply because they deeply loved the people. Remember, Paul says in that first part of Ephesians 4 that we're to be humble, we're to be gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. If someone comes to you and they prophesy your destruction and they seem like they're getting a lot of fun out of it, you can just stop them and say, you know what? Prophecy is meant to happen in love, just like it did between David and Nathan. We have a choice to make when we're confronted with prophetic correction. In 2 Kings chapter 17, God says to the people of Israel, God says, I sent you so many prophets and you rejected their correction over and over. I sent you so many people to tell you to turn from your ways and you rejected their correction. And he says in verse 18, it says, so the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. When we reject the correction that comes prophetically, We are at risk of removing ourselves from God's presence. I have a choice to make. When God loves me enough to bring correction into my life, I have a choice to make. And my response to correction is normally an indicator of my spiritual maturity. You know, during our croissant time every week, sometimes I see some of you correct your children. And you see the little guys, the two and three-year-olds, we kind of expect that when they're disciplined, they're going to fall on the floor and scream as loud as they possibly can. Their goal is to embarrass you as much as they can when you bring correction to them. I see this in the grocery store. I see it on the sidewalks. We expect a toddler to react like a baby when they're corrected. But as someone gets older, we expect them to act with more maturity. In our spiritual lives, some of us still respond to correction like we are spiritual toddlers. Someone brings us correction and we say, well, do you know what my parents did to me? It's my parents' fault. Or we say, how dare you question me? How dare you question me? We get in people's faces. We get confrontational and defensive when a word of correction comes into our lives. But Proverbs says that the wise love to be disciplined. The wise respond to correction. They use it as a growth point in their lives. My response to correction is an indicator of my spiritual maturity. If I want to go deep with God, if I want to know the things that God knows, and if I want to know the things that God wants me to know, I have to learn to respond to correction. Paul follows up the passage in Ephesians 4 with verses 14 and 15. Paul says, When we grow in maturity, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. 
Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. If we're smart, if we're wise, if we want to grow, we'll respond to words of correction that are birthed out of the prophetic giftings. The third gift that Christ has given us through the prophets is that Christ gave the prophets to direct us, to bring us direction as a church and as individuals. Paul writes in Galatians 5, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You imagine walking along in the dark in that hike and that flashlight just shining on the Spirit and showing us so that we can keep in step with the Spirit. We're not moving faster. We're not moving slower. We're not taking a different path. We're keeping in step with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 15, there's a, there's a really important moment in the early church. Uh, there was a group of guys called the Jerusalem Council. And they had some things to figure out because the Jewish guys saw the Gentile guys joining the church and they said, hey, how come those guys aren't following the same rules that we're following? They, if they want to be Christians, they have to follow all the laws of Moses. And I think that part of the problem was all the Jewish guys are like, look, if we had to go through circumcision, the Gentile guys have to go through circumcision, okay? There's nothing for free here. (laughs) And uh, Peter gets up in this moment and he addresses the council. And he says, look, it's not following the law that brings you salvation. It's grace through faith. He stands up and speaks prophetically in this moment. And the other spirit-filled believers agree with him. The Holy Spirit begins to do something in them as a body. And then James says, you know what? What Peter's saying to us, this totally lines up with the scripture. And he starts quoting scripture to prove that what Peter was saying was the right direction. People who have the gift of prophecy often help us make tough decisions as individuals or as a church when we're doing our best to hear from God. We always have to use discernment in, the, in these moments. Uh, John says in 1 John chapter 4, he says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We hear all kinds of weird stuff at the church. Okay, I get these emails from people, and they're like, I'm called to France, and here's what God has called me to do as part of your church. And I'm like, no. No, I I don't think so. Um, We have to be able to discern the spirits. And there's a couple, uh, there's a few things that this this story of the Jerusalem Council teaches us. And this, this is in Acts chapter 15, if you want to read that later. But I want to let you know that when you're trying to figure out what a true prophet is versus what a false prophet is, it's better to study what a true prophet is. Okay, if you're learning how to discern counterfeit money, you're not going to study all of the different kinds of counterfeit money and all of the different examples of counterfeit money. You're going to study real money so that you know a counterfeit when you see it. Okay, so I want to talk about a few things that are signifiers of real prophecy. The first one is it has to align with scripture. This is what James does in this moment. James goes, let's think about what the scripture says. Yeah, this seems to line up with it. Um, In the 1980s, there was a preacher named Edgar Wisenant who wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. This book sold like four and a half million copies. All the Christian television stations were like, here's what you need to do to get ready. Like, have a neighbor who's not a Christian come over and get your pets after Jesus comes back. You know, everyone was crazy about it. And uh, then it didn't happen. 
And then a few years later, he hadn't learned his lesson. He wrote a book called 23 Reasons Jesus is Going to Come Back in 1993. You know. And then 1994 rolls around, and I think he stopped writing books at that point. But you would think the believers at the time would have known that this contradicts Scripture because the Word of God says that only the Father knows the day and the hour. So when you see stuff on the internet and when you see evangelists saying, I've done all these computations and no, 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 the stars are here, so Jesus is coming back on this day, it's very easy to say, that doesn't align with scripture. I can let it go in one ear and out the other. God will not contradict his word. God will not contradict his word through prophetic words to the church or prophetic words in your individual lives. It has to align with scripture. The second thing that can confirm us is that this should be confirmed by what God is already doing in us. Look, the prophets don't hear from God on our behalf, okay? You can't go to someone with a prophetic gift and say, oh, I'm I'm trying to decide what to study at university. Should I study this or should I study this? You tell me because you're a prophet. God talks to you and not me. That's not how it works. God wants a relationship with each one of us. He wants to speak to each one of us, but sometimes God uses prophetic direction to confirm something that he is already speaking to us. We have to be very careful when when someone speaks something over us that doesn't feel right. If someone speaks a prophetic word over us and it doesn't feel right, you get to hear from God too, okay? And if it doesn't sit right with you, it's okay to dismiss that word. Um, The year before I moved to France, I was 25 years old, and I was doing a lot of traveling church-to-church fundraising. And I went to one church, and they had this time of prayer before service. And this guy came over. My dad was with me that day. The guy comes over, and he's praying for me really passionately. And my dad is, like, standing there, agreeing with him in prayer. And the guy goes, you will die in France, but through your death, thousands of people will come to know the Lord. And I was like... My eyes just flew open and I looked at him and I looked up at my dad and my dad was like, hmm, yes, Lord. My dad couldn't hear a word the guy was saying. But I'm like 25 years old getting ready to move to France and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die in France, you know. But this this sat so wrong with me. It just... It was like a square peg in a round hole, you know, it just, it felt so wrong. And so really quietly, I just said in my spirit, I don't receive that. I don't receive that word for my life. And on the way home, I was driving and I was like, you know what, Lord, if you want me to die, you can do what you want, but you don't need to tell me ahead of time, okay? (laughs) This is one of those spoiler alerts that I don't need to know. Just let it happen quick and painless and don't tell me that it's going to happen. But uh, I, I think this guy had good intentions. He wanted to tell me something really dramatic. And I I didn't feel the need to violently confront him. Just in my spirit, I said, I don't receive that. I don't receive that word spoken over my life. It didn't confirm what God was saying to me. Uh, The third thing that, that we need to keep in mind is that prophecy should align with what God is saying through others. So if Peter had stood up at this Jerusalem council and nobody was feeling the same thing he was feeling, that would have been a warning sign. But the other believers were feeling the same thing. You know, the global church oddly tends to shift in different places in the same way around the world at the same time. A lot of times the spirit starts moving the global church forward and it's the prophets who go, hey, I think the spirit is doing something new and we need to respond to that. 
And I think that the churches who have prophetic freedom are kind of the first ones in the current of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in the world today. Church doesn't look today like it did 200 years ago. It's not supposed to because God is always doing a new thing. God is always releasing a fresh presence into the world. And if we're not paying attention, if we're not leaning on the prophets, the gift of the prophets that God has given to the church, we're going to miss what God wants to do. God's work in the global church doesn't hitch on one person. It's not about one person's giftings. It's not about one person's calling. It's something the spirit begins to birth in many different places around the globe. We want to be part of that. So we want to know that what the Holy Spirit is doing in our church, that it aligns with what the Holy Spirit is doing in other churches. If we're off in left field somewhere, that's a problem. Okay, We want to flow with the current of the Holy Spirit. Prophets in the church are vital because they can sometimes sense direction for the church and for our individual lives. I'll let the worship team go ahead and come back up. Um, when I was traveling through Virginia as I was fundraising, I drove through this really um, kind of dangerous mountain pass. It was dark, it was late at night, and there was a really, really dense fog that had settled over the road. And there were all these signs, warning, fog, warning, fog. And I was like, how bad can fog be? I've seen fog. It was like driving in a cloud. I mean, you couldn't see anything in front of you. And when I talked to the pastor of the church that I was heading to, I said something to him about it. And he said, oh, there's 60 car pileups all the time. Because someone will get in a wreck and nobody can see it until they drive right up. And you'll have 60 cars just in a wreck. You'll have cars uh, coming off the side of the mountain and people dying because they didn't heed the signs. They didn't know that there was something beyond the fog. They didn't know that there was something that they couldn't see. And they didn't heed the signs. We have to always be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Because there's stuff that we can't always see. I can decide that I know better than the signs. But the reality is I have to be aware that sometimes the signs know something that I don't know. Sometimes God speaks to people in a way that he doesn't speak to me. And I need to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying to me in those moments. Hey, this is Kelly, lead pastor of the Bridge International Church. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from the Bridge. If you'd like more information about the Bridge, or if you'd like to get in touch with us, visit us at thebridgeparis.com.